powerful. They impact us. It's what we use for everything. Words are recognizable. We recognize the voice. We recognize the one who says the words. I remember as a kid being out in the neighborhood. This was back when you could do anything as a kid. It wasn't like today where you had a tracking system on your child because you didn't know where they were going, what they were going to do. You didn't know if they are going to be snatched. Uh, I was such a bad kid, there was no doubt that I would not be snatched. Reputation about me was out. Everybody's like, do not get that kid. You will be destroyed in the process. And so we'd be out playing all day long. But anytime it was, it was supper time or it was lunch time, mom would open the screen door and she would yell out, Pa-all! Pa-all! That's P-A-A-L-L. Pa-all! That's the way BB says it. And I'd come running in because I knew it was snack time. So I'd come in because that word would motivate me. That word would tell me exactly what I need to do. If I was acting up in the grocery store, it didn't take much of a word. In fact, it took no movements of lips at all. Stuff it. Stop it. I would stop it because I knew what was coming next, right? Words are powerful. We remember what people say with their words. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for... Huh. We have nothing to fear, but... I have a... Weird words, right? Words are powerful. We remember those. They're anchored in our heart. They come to mind when it's necessary for recall. Negative words come to mind and we remember them. And some of those negatives are anchored. Positive words come to mind and we remember them and they're anchored. Hey, Eric, I left my water right there. Would you grab that for me? Eric, how much do you weigh? About 199. He's not over the 200 barrier. 199. I just commanded with my words a 199 pound man. I said, get my water. Where's my water now? It's in my hand. Words are powerful. I will now take a drink. So when it comes to God's word, here's the thing. I don't know how many of you know this. Way back early 1900s, we were known as the Campbellites. How many know this? All right. Good. Good heritage people in here. Restoration people. Campbellites. Campbellites were known for two things. If you want to know an answer about God's word, you will go ask a Campbellite. It was said, you go ask a Campbellite. You want to hear about God's word, go ask a Campbellite. Another thing that we would say in our fellowship a lot is that if we wanted any sort of direction in life, we would say it needs to come with book, chapter, and this was our life. And yet, I would say in the last 20 years, we've somewhat escaped that. Part of it was because of the legalism that was prevalent, or because we spent so much time proving things. But one thing that I've noticed is probably we don't know as much scripture as we used to. And I'm not sure that anybody says, you know what, if you want to know the Bible, you go ask somebody in the Church of Christ because they know the Bible. It's a little embarrassing. And I think there's three primary reasons, and if you've got your lifelines, you can jot these down. Dangerous ways that we look at the Bible today that will really prevent us from knowing God's Word. Number one is promises. Write that down. Promises. And that means that we're looking at God's Word for what it will do for us. 
We're looking for our blessing. We're looking for our favor. So we constantly are in God's word to find out what it says about what God wants to do for me. Have y'all noticed this? This is taught a lot. You watch the average television preacher and it's going to be all about what God cannot wait to do for you. And so we'll open up God's word. We're like, what's God wanting to do for me today? I can't wait to find out. Blessed, 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 blessed. Favor, 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 favor. I rock. He loves me. It's good to know some, some promises. It is. We need to know those. But we can't just concentrate on those or we won't know God's word. We won't know his full context. We won't know the full power of the word. If all we know about God is how he wants to bless us, then we never change our life. We never become different because we just rest in what we get, right? So number one's promises. Number two is proof, proof. Sometimes we just study God's word to prove what we already believe because we love being right. And this was especially true, I'd say uh, 50 years ago, even though ironically I was not even around then, though close. 50 years ago, it was all about proving how we were right and better than everybody else, right? Now, we need to know doctrine. We do. But if all we do is study God's word to prove ourselves right and somebody else wrong, we don't know the full context of scripture. We can't. Even what we did this morning, taking the Lord's Supper. You know, I grew up with, some of you may have as well, if you're in our fellowship, Lord's Supper has to be taken when? First day of the week, but not just every first day of the week. How often? Every. And in fact, if you missed, and it was a congregation that you went on Sunday night, the, the table has been left prepared, which always made me nervous because I don't know if Jesus is supposed to be sitting out all day or not. I just don't know how these things work. But it's been left prepared for those, not just for anybody, for those who were providentially hindered. Yeah, those of you who are in our fellowship going, this is getting weirder and weirder. Those who are providentially hindered. Now, where do we get this? Acts 20 and verse 7. On the first day of the week, when the apostles came together to break bread. The necessary inference is that the reason they came together was to break bread. And so we said that means every first day of the week. And if somebody's not taking it every first day of the week, guess where they're going? Big Red Lake. And we would definitely point to other people and we'd let them know. In fact, it was like one of our call signals, right? Somebody say, yeah, I go to church. Yeah, how often do you take Lord's Supper? We do it quarterly at our church. Mm. Acts 20 and verse 7 says every. It, it doesn't, but we would say it. But then we forget passages like Acts 2, 47. That says they met together daily and broke bread and ate. Those are separate. The breaking of bread, there was really communion every day. I'm glad we weren't around the first century. We would have corrected them. Or what about the passage that says, for as often as you take this bread and drink this cup. How often is often? I don't know. So if we spend all our time proving, we're not going to know God's word. And then number three is prophets. P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S. Oh, there's nothing on the screens today in case you guys are looking. And the reason for that is usually by the time the screens are made and I get to Sunday, I'm like, Why? where'd that point even come from? I don't even know what that means anymore. So no screens. Prophets. Prophets mean this. We're listening to everybody else but God. 
then we're listening to our preachers or we've, we've got our Bible study materials and we, we listen to the teacher or we go to Lifeway and we get us a Bible study book that we fill in the blanks with. Again, none of these things are bad. They're just not best. I almost brought my Bible study materials this morning with me, like little Bible study guys that I've done through the years. There were like a couple of hundred. Sure, it's good that I did that. But that's not me one-on-one outside of God's Word, right? I mean, with God's Word alone outside of somebody else trying to influence that. If I'm always listening to somebody else's thought, somebody else's opinion, somebody else's teaching on God's Word, I never really get in there with it for myself, right? You remember the Bereans in Acts? It said the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, Because they listened to the word and they went and studied the scripture to find out if what the apostles taught was true. They didn't go, man, these guys, they're healing people. We got to listen. Like, you know, it's great what they're doing and it's great what they're saying, but we're going to get in God's word for ourselves, and we're going to find out if it's real. That's the relationship that we're supposed to have with God's word. The relationship is that we're going to be studying. The relationship is that we're going to be seeking. The relationship is that we're going to be searching. The relationship is that we are going to be memorizing. We are going to be anchoring. We're going to be able to pull from it. We're not going to have to say, hey, you better go ask Buddy Bell that question. That's a tough one. We're going to say, you know what? I've been studying that. Every single one of us in this room, unless you're like ultra small, should have by now read the Bible cover to cover multiple times. Multiple, not just once. And some of us, like, I made it all the way through one time. It just about killed me. I got into numbers and I had to take a time out. Listen, we've got to be in the Word day in and day out. It's what feeds us. Now, what Jesus said. Is it Matthew 4, 4? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we study his word. Let's turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Start in verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Hey, promise people, those of you who are like, what can God do for me today? Listen to this one. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. What's God want to give you today? Some stress, some persecution. We don't usually memorize that. That might be a great anchor verse. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned And have become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it. And how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation and faith in Jesus Christ. 
Not, you've known the scriptures and now, wow, you've got this incredible life because we're using the scripture for personal development. He said, no, you use the scripture for spiritual development. If our life becomes better because of it, it's a bonus. But the reason for the scripture is to serve the Lord, is to become saved through his word. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when man will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they'll they'll suit their own desires. They'll gather around them with great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time has come for my departure. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness for which the righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only me, but also all who have longed for his appearing. So he's encouraging Timothy. And how's he do this? He encourages Timothy by saying, I want you to hold true to what you've been taught. I want you to hold true to the scripture that you know. I want you to hold tight to the things that don't change, that won't shift with circumstance and won't shift regardless of what you're hearing or what you're enduring or how you're being persecuted. I want you to take all the things that you've learned. I want you to apply those. Then I want you to teach those to others. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration. This is older school version. The inspiration, the God breathed, inspiration of God. And it's profitable It brings a return. It's profitable for doctrine. So doctrine is what we believe. It's our anchor. It's the place that we return to. Everything is not doctrine, but there are doctrinal aspects that we need to hold on to that across the fellowship spectrum are required. One of those is 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, I came to you and I shared which which is of most importance. Number one, that Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures, was buried, rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. That's doctrine. It's the things that don't shift, that aren't opinion-based, that are our anchor regardless of what we're going through. So that on the rough days, on the days where we feel like we can't make it, on the days where the sin struggle, we remember that. It's most important. It has to be that anchor within us so that when we feel unworthy, we go, wow, most important. Death, burial, resurrection. Not for so-and-so and him and her, but also for me. That I wasn't taken out because of my sin. That I wasn't... Not redeemed or not chosen because I was not good enough. I was not put to the side because I was not clean enough. But instead, that promise of doctrine reminds me that I'm saved regardless, right? So it's profitable. It brings a return in doctrine for reproof. Some say for rebuke. 
Scripture is profitable to correct. Has anybody ever said, you're just a good goody? You think you're perfect. How many have ever heard that? You think you're perfect. Wow, just three of you. The rest of you better get to work and like be showing up. You think you're perfect. I used to hear that all the time and I was like a train wreck. But I was quoting scripture all the time. And when you're quoting scripture all the time, people look at you different. They think that you think that you're perfect. Because you're quoting scripture all the time. You just think you're perfect. You always rattling off those Bible verses. But I've been watching you. You make mistakes. You slip up. Listen, the reason we quote scripture is so we're not quoting ourselves. And when we're rebuking, we're rebuking ourselves first. But when we rebuke somebody else, it's not because we're good enough. We're not even rebuking with our own words. It's one thing to rebuke and get on to somebody and say, you know what, Doug? You better stop that. That's wrong. Nobody's like pumped about that. But it's totally different. Say, I know you don't feel like this is any of my business, but I want to share a passage with you. A passage that explains why you're feeling the pain the disillusionment, the hurt in your life. You see, Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. The thing that you're doing right now, you know is wrong. The Scripture says the wages of sin is death. That's why you don't feel alive. That's why you feel empty. That's why you feel lost. But the great thing is that rest of that verse says, but the gift of God through Jesus Christ is eternal life. You see, that's a rebuke. Hey, you got to stop living that way. It's death. But then there's also the beautiful promise in there, the gift of God. Don't you think that's accepted a lot easier? But I didn't like it, but it's accepted a lot easier than go, you got to quit doing that. That's wrong, man. You're going to hell. I'm just telling you from experience, that one didn't go over as well. As, do you know why you hurt? Do you know why you feel empty? Do you know why you're getting this consequence right now? Listen, I'm no better than you, but I learned a passage a long time ago that I'd like to share with you. It's rebuke. It's not always a fist. Sometimes it's just a general direction. Sometimes rebuke is tough. In Galatians 2 is when we have the story about Peter. And what Peter was doing is that when he was hanging out with the Gentiles, he was just going crazy with the pork. I mean, it was like bacon fest every day when Peter was with the Gentiles. It was glorious. But then when Peter got around the Jews, guess what? He's like, I've never eaten bacon. And I can't even believe the Gentiles do that. Well, this set Paul off. So in Galatians 2, he writes and he says that I confronted Peter to his face. That's a rebuke. And you think that Paul didn't use scripture with that? You know that he did. And then it ends up in scripture. How cool to get openly rebuked in scripture forever. Aren't you glad it was written 2,000 years ago? I mean, what kind of legacy? Pound it out right there. It's a rebuke. Then the next part says correction. For correction. A rebuke is you knew better, but you did it anyway. Correction is you didn't know. And so here's the insight, right? It's when the kid doesn't know that the the stove's going to burn them. And they reach for it. Your hand gets slapped. And mom and dad says, don't touch that. It'll burn you. That's correction. They didn't know what was going to happen. So the Bible is useful for correction. How are we going to know how to live? 
if we're not reading the Word? How do we know what's wrong if we're not in the Word? How do we know what God wants if we're not in the Word? Scripture teaches that the law existed so that we'd understand what sin was. Otherwise, we'd just be living for us thinking everything was okay. Because there's a lot of stuff that we do that's wrong that makes sense to us, right? There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. There's a lot of ways that seem right to me, seem accurate. But God word, God's word corrects Paul Evans because he's in there and he recognizes the thing he's been doing that he thought was okay. And he's like, ooh, God does not love that. God is not excited about that. But if I'm not in scripture, I won't find that. And if I'm only focusing on promises, God just can't wait to bless me. I'm not going to see that. I'm going to miss it. Correction. And then finally, instruction. Instruction in righteousness, teaching in righteousness. How does God want me to behave? How does God want me to live? Instruction in righteousness. How to be like God. Not how to have a great day. I don't know why this burns me up so much. But often, we're like searching scripture to find out how just to make my day better. I think that that that's fine. But that's not the design. The design is to say, let's find out how we can live holy. Now that makes our day better, right? It makes our day better. But it's not designed just to make our day better. But we're going to live a righteous life to make God look great. Matthew 5, 16 and 17. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So we're doing good stuff and we're living righteous life, but we're not getting the credit. In fact, folks are looking at us and going, no, there's no way. That is not him. That is not her. That's got to be something else. What in the world's going on? We got to praise somebody and I know it's not you. And we say, we've got to praise him. Instruction in righteousness, how to live. That the man of God may be thoroughly furnished or the passage we read just a minute ago, may be equipped so that there's no question about how to live. There's no question about what to do. There's no question about direction. There's no question about purpose. There's no question about what we need to, to align our life to. There's no question about any of that. Because God's word fully equips us. There's no gaps. There's no blanks. There's no what ifs. There's no... How in the world do I, I find it? It's there. And we live in an incredible age where every single person can be a scholar. We can all go online to Google and type in, like if you're in the New Testament, Greek study reference. And even somebody like me can go on there and click a word like for all, for all scripture is inspired, and I can click the word inspired, and the Greek word comes up, and the definition is there that says, God breathed. We can all do this today. It's pretty amazing. The only excuse to be ignorant of God's word in today's society is that we chose to be lazy. Well, you just don't know how busy I am. I'm all, get up early and get in the word. Stay up late. Quit binging on Netflix. 
Let's carve out some time to say, God, you're the priority. You're the priority. You are the priority. Man shall not live by bread alone. We wake up in the morning, we're like, where's my coffee? I can't function. I got to get my, we're like on autopilot. I got to get my coffee. What if we couldn't function until I got to get my word? I can't survive until I get in the word. I'm not going to make it unless I'm in the word. I can't function unless I'm in the word. We're lazy. Some of us, not all of us. It equips us. The man of God may be thoroughly furnished for every, what? 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 Man. Y'all are light voiced. Good work. Thoroughly furnished for every good work. Not thoroughly furnished to survive. Not fully equipped to barely make it. Equipped for every good work. So that when we are in God's word, our eyes are open and we start seeing things that we've never seen before. And we start serving in ways that we've never served before. Because when we're not in God's word, you know what we don't see? We don't see needs. We don't see how other people are hurting. We see how we're hurting. We don't see how to help somebody else. We just see how to help ourselves. We don't see somebody else's busy schedule and overrun and overwhelmed life. We just see our own. But we're in God's word. We're, we're fully equipped. We're ready. We're prepared. Our eyes are open to see and act on everything. And produce good works that glorify God. God's word is powerful. It says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It says, God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void and without form. And God said, let there be light. And there was. Because God's word is creative. It's not destructive. It's creative. It brings us to life. It mobilizes us. It propels us forward if we know it. Jeremiah 20, he said, your word. I I said, I'm not going to speak any more of your word. See, he had been persecuted. You know, Jeremiah is called the, the weeping prophet. How encouraging, the weeping prophet. And he proclaimed God's word, especially in chapter 11. And he was ridiculed and he was persecuted and he was harmed. And then he got fed up. And he said, I'm done, God. I don't care that I'm selected. I don't care that you've hand chosen me. And I don't care that you keep giving me these messages. I'm fed up. I'm tired of this. He said, I said I would never more speak of you, of your word. But your word is shut up in my bones like a fire. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, 
I can not. He's like, I don't care if I keep getting persecuted. I don't care if I keep getting beaten. I don't care if I keep becoming an outcast. Your word is so alive in me that I can't hold it in. Let's be that. Let's be that. Let's be sick that we're not sharing enough. Let's be weary of not studying enough. Let's be tired of not knowing enough. And know his word. Your words, O oh Lord, are life. James 1.22, don't just hear the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. God's word's powerful. It's redeeming. It's lifting. It's encouraging. It's challenging. It's rebuking. But it's beautiful and it's sweet and it's directive and it's guiding and it's loving and it's powerful. The same one who said, let there be light has called us to live for him, has spoken to us and loved us through his word. Let's stand together. Nehemiah chapter 8. All the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and of women and all who were able to understand. And he read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him in his right hand stood Matithia, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hakiah, Masala, and on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Micaiah, Hashem, can't read the next one, Zechariah and Meshulam. Listen, some of these words are big, and it's okay if you skip one word as you read the scripture. You better study that. Ezra opened the book, all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen! Amen! Amen. I like that. I was tearing up. Thank you for rescuing. Then they bowed. Listen to the response of God's word being read after a drought of not hearing God's word. After the the wall of Jerusalem being rebuilt, they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. 
Verse 8, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear, giving meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra and the priest, and scribe the Levite, who were instructing the people, said to them, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the Lord. It's how the words of the Lord, the attitude was impacted. The hearts were impacted by God's word. And Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing. Prepare. This day is sacred to the Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. God's word impacts our hearts and brings life. It causes us to stand in reverence. It causes us to weep in pain. It causes us to say amen, amen. It causes us to bow and to worship. God's word is powerful. And maybe these words this morning seem so foreign and so distant and so odd. And maybe you need some prayers this morning to restore your relationship with the Lord so that you can get in his word and feel all of what he has to say for you. Or maybe today you need to put on Jesus Christ and baptism, be immersed, raised in new life. It is of most importance, 1 Corinthians 15, and be completely his. Let's sing together.